Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello, fans of Shuklistan, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jairus, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you? Hello, it is chilly and snowy here, so I am feeling Ooh. in the holiday spirit. Of course, I have yet to put my outdoor furniture away, so <laughs> my activity this afternoon is going to be the brush and fold. Good technique. I hope so. I hope I will impress the judges. With my style points. Have you been watching any World Cup? I no longer have physical therapy, so no. <laughs> because that's what they had on in the physical therapist's office. And then I'd get home and do other things and say, oh, Morocco won. Wow, that's cool. I right. didn't know they were playing. So it was, no, I have not been watching World Cup. Okay. So I have not really been watching. I've been keeping up in the news and I've been watching highlight stuff. But I did watch the U.S.'s last group stage game. And the only way to do that, because it's on during the day, I have to have the TV up in our little annex room that's got a TV in it next to my office. And the only station I can get on that TV that will play World Cup is Telemundo. So I have to watch it in Spanish. And that's okay because Andreas Cantor is the main commentator. So of course, you know, even if I have headphones on, that goal comes through everything and it's fabulous. I love it. But that meant when I had to watch a video for our upcoming Albert film moment, which we will get to momentarily, my husband had to help me with the DVD VCR setup and he turned on the TV and Telemundo was still on. And he's like, what is this? And we were watching and obstacle course race called Exatlon. And it was mano y mano, a lot of running around a platform track that was set up on sand. And then there was like over under some stuff, some barriers and some things you had to spin. But the last bit we thought would be great for modern pentathlon. To replace the horses. Yeah. Well, I mean, like this course was kind of cool and easy and it's different from a ninja course, but the last section of it, they had like a tic-tac-toe grid with blocks in each square that had shapes on them. And the goal was to knock down the blocks, but you had to put them in the right order first. So they had like a main square in between the two competitors that showed you the order that the blocks were supposed to go in. So you constantly had to like go up to the board, set the blocks, go back to the main puzzle and see if you matched up correctly. It sounds like a survivor challenge. It was kind of a survivor challenge, but it was like it used your brain as well as your physicality. And I think you get that a lot from modern pentathlon. It's not necessarily just your physicality, but you have to have some smarts too. And we loved that challenge because when you're active, sometimes your brain doesn't always think like uh, spatially very much anymore. And that well, can be different. And memory. Athletes talk so much about m working on muscle memory and not thinking. That thinking is when they get themselves into trouble or overthinking. Right. So this like biathlon where you have to go very fast and then control your heart rate, it's that opposing forces of things that aren't supposed to work together very well. Exactly. It, it was very interesting to watch. 
modern pentathlon. Please take note. You know what else is interesting to watch? Movies? Movies! <laughs> it's movie club week! Film Buff Fran is back, and we are talking the cutting edge fictional movie set around the Olympics. And usually we don't do fictional mo- movies, but our biopic that we were going to watch on The Flying Seek wasn't available. So we went with one of Fran's all-time favorites. She was thrilled. This is The Cutting Edge, the 1992 film starring Moira Kelly and D.B. Sweeney as an unlikely figure skating pair training for the Olympics in Albertville. Take a listen. Fran, welcome back. We are talking The Cutting Edge. What have you got for us? Woohoo! Parlez-vous Olympics? (laughs) Oh, I am so stoked to talk about this movie. I know you guys must have completely loved it from start to finish. Oh, okay. Did oh, so this movie <laughs> came out in 1992? Did you see it in the theater, Fran? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't remember. I think I saw it on cable. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Back in the day. I mean, 92, I would have been around roughly like 20 years old. So this is like perfect for that young woman. I mean, it's got all the tropes for like a perfect, cute, romantic movie. And of course, it happens within the context of all this Olympic stuff. So it it kind of melded two of my favorite things, cheesy romances and Olympic stuff. (laughs) I did, in fact, see this in the movie theaters. I believe I saw it at Movieland on Central Avenue in Yonkers. Wow. I, it's I, scary I remember that you can remember. <laughs> because, again, it struck me because it was an Olympic movie. And right, at the time, right. that wasn't something that I had seen before. And unlike you, Fran, I hated this movie at the time. <laughs> it made me very oh, angry. It did. Now, it why did. was that? It made me angry because obviously figure skating is the central sport in the movie. And at the time, I I thought they did the figure skating very, very badly. Not Mm. the skating itself, just kind of the world of figure skating. Yeah, they really didn't portray it in a very positive light. I mean, you had overbearing coaches and you had snotty princesses and you had folks that didn't seem to care you know it was all about winning so it really would have been nice if we had an actual day in the life of some of the real pair skaters from either 88 Calgary where this movie starts or Albertville 92 where the movie ends because I guess for me not knowing much the sport and what it takes to kind of make it as an Olympic champion. It's just neat to just kind of dream, you know, well, what if they took this fish out of water who, yeah, knew how to play hockey, but didn't know figure skating, but he had that innate talent. And what if they thrust him in with a good partner and a great coach? Could he fulfill his Olympic dream? It was more kind of like a redemption story for Doug, who plays the lead protagonist, who is unfortunately a washed up hockey player. And you see why he wasn't able to fulfill his Olympic dream right at the onset of the movie. I thought that he had probably the better of the two characters just because I think they fleshed him out more. Unfortunately, Kate's character 
of his partner was just kind of a snotty, stuck up, uptight girl. And they really didn't give her much. She was very one dimensional character wise. And you didn't, and you couldn't stand her fiance. Who cares about Hale? He was no prize. <laughs> so, setting the scene, the movie starts at Calgary, 1988, and we see everybody in those wonderful Calgary cowboy hats, which was yes. so much fun. And Kate is a pair skater, played by Maura Kelly, and D.B. Sweeney is a hockey player. And you mentioned his character as Doug. And somehow, after these fits and tirades, they end up crashing in the tunnels under the ice skating rink. Now, I did not check facts on this, but I have a feeling that the pairs practice rink and the competition hockey rink were not the same building. Well, I checked on that, Allison. <laughs> oh, good, good, because that stuff makes me crazy. <laughs> and you are correct. <laughs> Shocking. They never would have been in the same building. So Okay, so they crashed. So unfortunately, they yeah, that was made up. <laughs> so Doug suffers a career-ending injury. Kate has a fall with her partner, and both of their dreams are shattered. Then quick go two years later, and she has no partner because she's a horrible person. She's a diva. She's an ice queen. Right. She's kind of all those tropes, tropes. as you mentioned. Yep. And the Russian figure skating coach, another trope, yep. brings the hockey player in and now they're going to be a pair. And of course, they hate each other right off the bat mm -hmm. and antagonize each other. And in the end, they are amazing. But here's what <laughs> really gets me throughout this movie. I actually have to disagree with you, Fran. I liked Moira Kelly's character better. Hmm. Then D.B. Sweeney. I found D.B. Sweeney very one note hmm. and I found the character very thin. So it's funny that you, from, from your perspective, it was fleshed out. I found Moira Kelly very believable as hmm. the diva figure skater and very mm -hmm. damaged from the pressure from her parents, the pressure mm -hmm. from her sport, the pressure to practice and be a certain size and present mm -hmm. a certain image I thought was very, very well done. And she was gorgeous on the ice. She looked like a figure skater. She did look helped. like a figure skater. Yep. And I think I still carry a slight crush for D.B. Sweeney, <laughs> which is Fair probably enough. why I'm Team Sweeney. <laughs> well, what I didn't get was why did they make him from Minnesota? They could have just put him in Boston because he really looked like he could have used a good Boston accent to make it even better. <laughs> like the whole I'm from the rough side of the ice kind of. Thing. And you know what? It was a made-up Minnesota town, too, to make it even worse. <laughs> and I mean, the guy's name is D.B. Sweeney. If that's not a Southie name, I don't well, know what it is. Long Island. There right. you go. Close enough. Because basically, Long Island is the Southie of New York. <laughs> and, and of course, Allison and Jill, it, it was like, I, I just kind of geek out whenever there's any eye-related issues in a movie. So when he lost his 18% of his peripheral vision, eye doctors like me, we just tend to geek out over eye stuff. How, how plausible and is that? That's a good question. It's actually pretty plausible because if he fell and really traumatized the back of his head, that's where the cortex of our visual system is. So he could have had visual damage. So that's actually probably a, a pretty decent thought as to why what would cause an end to his career would be a, a visual issue. And, and I can understand that being an issue in ice hockey, 
but I don't know why it wasn't a problem in pair skating <laughs> that he was missing a chunk of his peripheral vision. <laughs> well, it is choreographed. So you, in theory, as we learned in Ice Castles, can be True. blind and still skate. <laughs> Have True. you learned nothing from previous Olympics from uh, figure Paris, skating Paris Olympics, Where are you with the figure skating? <laughs> yeah, oh, but Allison, I mean, the, the tropes were, were just, there was so many, I couldn't even write them all down. Well, you, I like, mean, you nailed a couple. Like, from the beginning, you just have to suspend disbelief because who, Correct. who Correct. lets the captain of their hockey team not show up to their match on time? <laughs> Well, first of all, we have a scheduling question because we know that pair skating is always at the very beginning. <laughs> and why was this final the hockey first, game? Right. Why is this major conflict semifinal round hockey game happening on what would have been probably like the first Saturday of the Olympics? I don't think they had their Olympic consultants with them when they were writing the script. If they really? had you guys, it would have been a better movie. But they had to have some permission because they used rings they did they I, used rings all over I, the I noticed place. that but i i had to stay till the end of the credits because they thanked the u.s olympic committee so i bet they got the permission ah, from them they had to have the permission and we're still talking mm -hmm. 1992 91 92 so i bet the ioc isn't quite as sophisticated as they are now about their trademarks and their <laughs> brand and since the usoc Owned the trademark for America. I'm guessing that's where the permission came from, because there was mm. Team USA gear everywhere. Yes, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yes. and even on in my favorite scene of Moira Kelly, where she confesses in the chateau how it really was all her fault. She's wearing mm. a turtleneck with the mm. rings on it, like the team would have received. And I'm thinking, wow, they really not only got permission for the rings to be on the ice, but to the just gear. use it willy nilly throughout, mm -hmm. which. Today you would never And all say. the Calgary stuff looked really legit, like the stuff on the signage on the boards and things like that. That all looked like somebody had mm -hmm. it in the closet and they just let me loan it out to you. Mm. There were so many facts that were just like, oh boy, oh boy. And the fact that made me insane. <laughs> spotlights. Only one fact. Oh, that's spotlights yeah, spotlight. during skating competition. Yes, that's a no, no. That Don't made do me, that. That made me so angry because <laughs> the skating actually now rewatching it, the skating that they put on there was actually very, very good. Mm -hmm. And I found out why. Oh, choreographed Robin by Cousins. Robin Cousins, gold medalist from 1980 Lake Placid. Mm -hmm. But the way they shot the skating, the way they used elements, they showed them doing throws and twists and side-by-side -side jumps and death spirals and side-by-side -side spins, the things that pair skaters would have had to do in their programs. So that mm -hmm. was actually much better than I remembered it, except mm -hmm. for the spotlight. And it was well, unnecessary. And, yeah. And fun fact, both leads did not know how to ice skate. Shocking. Before. Shocking. But they actually like fired it up and learned for the movie so that they could actually do some of their own I mean because it was I was looking for that like I was trying to spot the body doubles and the switches to the the real skaters and it was kind of hard to tell when they switched I think they did a really good job with the skating parts of it and that's probably why I loved it as a kid too because I mean I love ice skating so you know any any ice skating movie I'm sold and I got to say, just the camera work on figure skating movies, 
part of me is mm-hmm. like, oh, we got to cut to the people who can skate. Now back to the actors. Now the actors doubles <laughs> and back. And it's constant. So you can't see what's actually really happening for the most part until you could put mm-hmm. on a real figure skating pair who could do something mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. Moira Kelly and D.B. Sweeney standing and looking at each other and maybe doing some crossovers. Though, to be fair, Moira Kelly, in training for this movie, broke her <gasps> leg. Did she really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. most of the skating skating that you see is not her, but not mm-hmm. because she hadn't tried. Wow. Mm-hmm. And we're also neglecting to mention that gorgeous ice skating arena that, of course, in her fictitious world was her own private ice skating rink on her father's magnificent Greenwich, Connecticut property where she trained. I mean, I would die for that. To have that at your disposal on a daily basis, that would be like my dream to have that in your backyard. I was never convinced as to why they did not make her a single skater. I mean, right. I know they, they give you an explanation and it has to do with the dead mother. Mm. God, I have a dead mother and <laughs> his loss and all. But given America's history of ladies figure skating and its lack of history in pair skating, that is, again, a little too much suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. that they would have made her a pair skater. They would have made her a single skater. She'd be the next Dorothy Hamill. But then there'd be no movie, Allison. Then there'd be no movie. I know. There'd be a totally different movie. But you know what? I would kill to have John Locke still be her father. I did notice that. Yep. The reference to Lost. Yep. I'm, of course, referring to the fabulous Terry O'Quinn, who plays Moira Kelly's character, Kate's father in the movie, also is a fan favorite from the longstanding U.S. TV show Lost. And when I watched this movie after Lost had come out and I realized that Terry O'Quinn was her, played her dad, it was just funny. I mean, because I can't not see him as Locke, his character from Lost. There, um, there are two sides to every pair's team, black <laughs> side and white side. But why is it that every kind of evilish father has one of those mustaches like he had? Because <laughs> it makes you more evil, Jill. So we can twirl it. And every coach is Russian. Right, right. Well, I did, but he was the benevolent Russian coach. He wasn't the mean Russian coach. He was like a teddy bear. I loved. Maybe him. that's why he was no longer a coach in Russia. Maybe that's why, because her first coach was horrific. He definitely had a go. He was the worst. But we know now, pretty common, right? You know, it, it's like this movie almost told us things that we didn't want to know about figure skating. It's like abusive coaches. Women with eating disorders. (laughs) Check. (laughs) And it was funny, too. You know, it's almost like it was a parody of the figure skating world. Because remember when they were in the room trying on the costumes and they're putting on these ornate things with lace and beads and D.B. Sweeney as Doug, he's just standing there and he just can't stand it because he's like, no, this is not what I want to portray. This is not me. You know, I'm not going to stand for this. This is just garbage. And everybody's so upset when he eventually just storms out and he's not going to play by their rules. And, you know, and why did it have to be like that? All gussied up and, and not as dynamic. I mean, I think that's changed and evolved 
a lot since then. But it is true. There was just certain things you did and there was certain music that you used and there were certain ways that you l- appeared and how you behaved and, and what you did skate to. And that made a difference because the judges wanted it to be a certain way. And speaking of judging, can we talk about the elephant in the room? Which elephant? The Pumpchenko. <laughs> okay, so first, we're still scoring out of six. So no single move would have made or broken your program. You could not have won just because you had this move. Okay. Second, it's illegal. Bounce bins have always been legal. They were illegal then. There's no discussion. And third, according to Earth's laws of physics, the female <laughs> would have died. If you tried to release from a bounce bin going vertical, she would have flung out like a kid coming <laughs> off a pommel horse. Just spin it off like a centrifuge. Allison, you have to suspend disbelief. <laughs> I cannot suspend the rules of physics. Movie. Just suspend it. He had to catch her in the end. They love each other. They had to win. We don't know the if end. they won. That's the that's the No, they won. They won regardless of the medals, oh. Jill. They won. <laughs> I can get with the I can live with the spotlights. I can live with the fact that how are you competing at a national championships having never competed as a couple before? Okay. But it was the Pemchenko that broke your back, wasn't it? It did because when you are defying the laws of physics <laughs> and you would cause the female skater to become decapitated on the sideboards, I cannot let that go. It's like padding never existed for, for or, or poor ice training. Kids. Right? It was just like, let's throw, like she was not covered in bruises. Come on. We got to yeah, see him favorite... in his underwear and, and ice tips. But you know what? There was the toe pick, Jill. What'd you think of the toe pick? Come on. Toe pick. Toe pick. Okay, that was the replacement for the shoe montage. <laughs> right? Because we in our past several movies, there's been some scene that involves people not having the proper shoes. Correct. So the toe pick scene is the replacement when you're not wearing <laughs> shoes for your sport. And then I wondered, like, nationals is our only event. Oh, yeah. Like, it's ju- and it just reminded me of when people think of smaller Olympic sports. And we know more about figure skating. But for a lot of people, it's just like it shows up once every four years. So that's mm-hmm. what this movie felt like. Like, you compete twice every four years once at your national tournament and then (laughs) once at that and yet you can amass a whole trophy room full of trophies in one empty case for the gold medal your father anticipates even though you are a pair skater that is dominated by the soviets slash unified (laughs) team and if you noticed you know we've done a whole bunch of albertville segments on the unified team they were still called the Soviet Union in the movie because obviously when the movie was shot, <laughs> when that history happened, right? We, we talked about it in, in one of our history spots that the Soviet Union fell apart basically that fall right, mm-hmm. of 91. So by the mm-hmm. time you are shooting this movie, no one has any clue that world events are just going to mm-hmm. blow realism out the window, mm-hmm. which did not, you see, that didn't bother me. I just they noted couldn't it. have known. 
they yeah. couldn't have known. But it's but true. The, I mean, I mean, the, whatever you want to call them, the Soviet team, the Russian team, the unified team, regardless, they had completely dominated the sport for how long? Like decades. So, yeah, I mean, head to head, if we put Doug Dorsey and Kate in the middle of all these fantastic pairs, I mean, the best a, an American team did in 92 was sixth place. <laughs> And they didn't even have the Pamchenko. So, <laughs> so I mean, we there was no way Doug was getting on that podium. And they, they did not have Doug and Kate's love. They didn't. Which, at the very end, spoiler alert, the, of course he says, I love you, right before they go on the ice. I'm surprised they didn't even just kiss before that. But that would have blew it. We needed that tension. We needed the foreplay, Jill. But but like the constant the movie. waiting to go on the ice until somebody almost physically drags you out there. Like, <laughs> don't you want to warm up just one last time? Get the feel for that it ice before your before the matter. spotlights go on. <laughs> he was bearing his soul to her after he threw up in the corner. Felt so real. Oh, can we talk? Okay, so the corner scene makes me think of the little girl that they cut to, who oh, was, was watching. Him okay, this was a great movie to be an extra in. Oh, <laughs> yes, they had totally. so many good extra shots totally. and tons of crowd scenes, watching figure skating. The girl who got to mow on DB Sweeney when he came home for the visit—you <laughs> yes. know she slipped in the tongue. There was a, a lot of girls in that party scene. That old lady was like full, like huge lip lock. Uh, uh, wait a second, Bran. That old lady was probably our age now. Probably. Probably. <laughs> as sad Watch to say it as there. it is. Yeah, a lot of people kissed D.B. Sweeney in this movie. A lot. He got a lot of lip action in this movie. Yeah, it was really that the whole holiday thing was really bizarre because <laughs> it's almost like they have enslaved D.B. Sweeney. So There's he's living no in the carriage house. It's Christmas time. He can't go home to Minnesota to get roughed up by his brother. We'll get oh, to him. Can we just we'll... talk about? Oh, well, we have yeah. to talk about yeah, the but, brother. Oh. But so Christmas, let's exchange presents while you just got out of the shower. First off, <laughs> Kate, we have to give you a present now. I'm going to give you my treasured hockey jersey, knowing that you know nothing about hockey, and then I am upset that you don't know anything about the significance of this jersey. And then she's like, oh, wait, I just happen to have your Christmas present here in the bathroom. Unless it's part of her whole ensuite thing. And she gives him a fancy book. Like, I know. The, the, the presents seem oddly uneven. Right, right. And then, and the, then the presents huge... are symbolic. Yes, I get symbolic. it. I get it. Because it's great it, expectations yeah, with Pip. Correct. And then this how, this New Year's party. Where there's just tons of people. I, I get it that the father has a big fancy schmancy holiday party. And we find out well, that Kate the doesn't drink. Point of it, yeah, yeah, but I, but it, I mean, really, like the, there's the, the fiance. I mean, we had to have this conflict with the boyfriend. And then we had to see him cleaned up and handsome. So she takes another look at him in a different light. The light of sparklers, right? And then he had, and then he had to go into their private den and look at all their family pictures and tell her how hot his, her mom was. But they but were bonding. Was, they it, were bonding. It, it really was bizarre to see them 
see him there for the holidays when we didn't understand when nationals fit into this picture. And I get it. If nationals was right around that time. Okay. But like, again, with the, you are like an indentured servant here, you stand in the carriage house, you come and practice all day, every day. And then maybe we'll let you go home for a weekend so that your brother can give you some guff about figure skating. Come on, the, that was really funny, I thought. The best was when he doesn't even want a cop oh, yeah. to saying what he's actually doing. <laughs> and the look on that one extra's face when he's like, what did he say? You know, they're mortified yeah. that he's a figure skater. Right? That was classic. That was hilarious. But, but in a way that felt true to that time. Like mm-hmm. they were guys, guys. I mean, he right. dropped out. He he lost his schol- college scholarship, so therefore he was only qualified to work in a factory, and then do some light construction around the house by which he nails boards Wait. hanging from the rafter. <laughs> Just yeah, it did make sense. And and then he said he's to, lucky that Russian coach showed up, right? Because <laughs> like, and to avoid being beaten by everybody. He told them he was in the Merchant Marines. <laughs> and they were all proud of that. But a figure skater? No. No. And he liked it. <laughs> and I like it. It's okay. Because I like it. But... <laughs> Poor Allison. So I think I... she's enjoying it more now that we're, we're just completely beating well, we, it up. We do want to bring up the controversial ending that is not an ending. I mean, they, they end up together, but we don't know... How they did. The outcome of the competition. But that question is answered in the sequel. So then do we watch the sequel from Movie Club? (laughs) God, no. (laughs) So the sequel was... Spoiler alert. Yes, yes. Spoiler alert. The sequel was made in 2006. And the central character of the sequel is Doug and Kate's daughter, Jackie, named after (laughs) Kate's father. So ah. they go on to get married, have a child, and in that movie it is revealed that they didn't, in fact, win the gold medal in Alberta. Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. So I was kind of disappointed to find out that they won. I think they should. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it served the purpose of the sequel. I like to live in the world where they did not win. Sure. Or, or did not get better than bronze, and yet we're still happy with that. Right. So that's because what happened they had in my other. world. They had each other, Allison. They had each other. And that absolutely gorgeous skating dress she has. That mm. thing was killer. Both of their outfits were very beautiful and very understated compared to the later Hosen couple and the thing that they were trying. <laughs> the Beaterman twins? The, yeah. <laughs> was that a nod to the Carruthers's maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I think that was just a nod to... The ridiculousness, the siblings, yeah, the, the so many sibling pairs, and just how a lot of people thought of figure skating at the time, and probably still do. You know, when mm. you when you think of it, you think of the outrageous costumes and the music and the mm-hmm. the very cartoonish aspects of it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, no one has ever actually skated in a real later hosen <laughs> because your blade could, in fact, get stuck in the later hosen. Thankfully, we had stellar commentators to do and I, honestly the commentator sounded exactly like the commentary on my torino 2006 playstation 2 game well who was were the commentators one of them was robin cousins 
No, he had but... a cameo. And then there was another Olympic person. I don't know who the other commentator was, but do you remember the woman, the blonde woman who interviewed them at the yeah, yeah, yeah. At the Nationals? That was JoJo Starbuck. JoJo Starbuck and Ken Shelley. Oh, man. So pair so, skater from the U.S. from a so very jo- long time ago. Long I think they would ago. have been so jo- yep. yeah, 68, 72, for- something I, like I, that. I'm sorry. I, for- I did not look up the other name of the other person. But yeah, Robin Cousins, I believe, was one of those commentators as well as being the choreographer for the movie. And the other cameo we mentioned is the Ersatz uh, Soviet pair was actually the Canadian pair skaters who competed in the real Alberville and finished ninth. What was the name? Uh, it was Hoff and Landre. So they, and they were finished ninth. But it was really nice too. just thinking back, you know, whenever I see something that has an Olympic kind of theme to it, it's always kind of prods me to go back and look at that Olympic Games. So I was looking back at 88 in Calgary and I was like, oh, well, who were the pairs that actually won the gold that year? And that was Gordieva and Grinkoff from the Soviet team. And they were lovely. I mean, they were the married couple and she was so petite and he was just such this huge hulking figure, but they were so amazing on the ice. Not Um, married yet in 88 though. True, true. And then the other, there was another Russian pair who got silver that year. It was Volova and Vasiliev. And then actually a U.S. team wore the bronze, Watson and Apagard who I don't recall. They are the last U.S. pairs to win an Olympic medal. To this day? Yes. Wow. They did a Firebird program. Mm -hmm. She was, and they were of that very big, strong, hulking guy, tiny Mm -hmm. little petite blonde, and he just Mm -hmm. threw her around the ice like it was nothing. Mm -hmm. This movie is almost a precursor to that reality show, The Skating with Celebrities where you take people who don't skate and make them skaters. I know a version of it is very, very popular in Canada. And really? Our, and our Shukflistani, Megan DeHamel, has been both a judge and a skater. And huh. her partner last time around was a hockey player. Come on. So if you go yeah, back in... It's, it's the Battle of the Blades. Yes, so it's Battle like of the hockey, Blades in Canada. Hockey versus figure skating. So they, they pair them. Yeah. So it's a whole show of hockey players put together with figure skaters. And how do they do? I'm really excited to know. They often do very well. Sometimes. (laughs) It really depends on the skating part of it is almost staying on your skates. But then Mm -hmm. you've got to get the rest of it, the musicality, the stance, the holding Mm -hmm. your body a different way. And almost going from hockey to figure skating is is harder than going from nothing to figure skating because you have to unlearn Mm -hmm. all these things in your body. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they didn't really show in the movie that like he had to learn all this stuff, but he, other than didn't have a helmet to throw up in, we didn't see a lot of the (laughs) unlearning. Well, we did see that classic doing the ballet scene where the old white ballet teacher is trying to get him not to round his shoulders while Kate does everything, you know, perfectly. That was another trope. Topic. <laughs> Topic. I think I think for Olympic Day this year, Fran, Jill and I are gonna try the Pomchenko. 
I'm not throwing you around. No, because not- remember when we were watching World Games and we were talking about ab- acrobatics and I said I would totally be a flyer and you would be a base. Mm-hmm. So I think we set this up where Fran is Anton, the the <laughs> Russian coach. Yes. yes. And we just go with no pads and no off-ice training and just bounce me and throw me up in the air and see what happens. <laughs> And I will wear a proper scarf in my hair tied ever so nicely. <laughs> well, I, I got to say, we were, last night we, I rewatched the movie with my youngest, Ava, who's almost 10. And she's already seen this movie with me because I'm so obsessed with it. And she was ha- more than happy to watch it again with me. And then my husband was doing work in the background. By the last 20 minutes... Both he and my older daughter were watching it with us. (laughs) So it was gripping enough to get them to watch the last 20 minutes. I do have to say this time around, I definitely saw more of the charm of the characters and was Mm -hmm. able to look past the ridiculousness of the (laughs) portrayal of the sport and say, Moira Kelly is just beautiful and was really fun in this movie. And uh, Terry Quinn and yeah, it was fun to watch them play with each other. I mean, the hockey scene where she like slaps the puck in his nose, and then he goes to the hospital and pretends he's really sick, and then she's mortified, and then she realizes the joke's on her. Those little kind of scenes in between were really, really sweet. And then, of course, going back to the Nationals, when they did come out and make the Olympic team, and then she does decide to go on a bender with D.B. Sweeney to celebrate, and then she decides to throw herself at him, but then he takes the high ground and... Trope. And <laughs> decides to be chivalrous, and he he does not accept her advances, and then she gets all upset. But the, the amount of alcohol consumed in that scene, yeah, was and ridiculous. Those, that whole connection between the tequila shots, and then him cleaning up a nips. mini bar. <laughs> yeah, she would have been in the hospital. She was a tiny little girl who had never drank. Yeah, that was kind of ridiculous. Uh, well, I I gotta say that. Actually, this book ends the year nicely because we started off with a movie that if you liked Eddie the Eagle, (laughs) Cutting Edge is right there with it. And three out of four movies this year turned out to be either Calgary or Albertville. And it's great because it's it's celebrating Albertville's anniversary this year. What this movie could have had could have been improved by some Hugh Jackman. Or some Taron Egerton, for that matter, although he was probably six months old. You had D.B. Sweeney. Calm down. I know. Well, okay, so then here's what we do. We need to write another cutting-edge sequel (laughs) because obviously somebody is willing to throw money at this series. And then if Hugh Jackman ever really needs a payday, he'd come in and be the coach. That's right. It's not a stretch. The coach from the country that just randomly won a medal in figure skating and wasn't Soviet or unified or Russia. That happens every once in a while, right? No, just leave him as, <laughs> as, a, as being Australian. That would be even better because when have the Australians ever won an ice skating competition? But no, but it's, you know what, at, at its heart, it was just a fun romantic comedy. 
And the neat thing was it had some razzle-dazzle of being Olympic-themed in parts. And that's what kind of roped me in. And really, the chemistry between the two leads really kept you staying to see, you know, oh, will they ever resolve this? Will they ever come together? Or is their stubbornness and their pig-headed personalities just going to keep them apart? Metal or no metal? Pamchenko <laughs> brings them together. That's right. <laughs> well, and if you were became a fan of Moira Kelly while watching this movie, she is in a Hallmark Christmas movie this year. Oh, neat. So, Well, we'll she's also the rotation. voice of Nala in The Lion King, in I the original Lion of, King. She's and she was nice on West Wing. Thing. She's been in a lot. She's done a lot of really neat stuff. Excellent. All right, Fran. Thank you so much for a great year of movies. It was a fun way to wrap up, and I'm glad we got to do one of your favorites. Oh, no problem. Thank you both. And I'm sorry, Allison, that I made you watch The Cutting Edge yet again. But I think you liked it just a little bit this time. Don't pick. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fran. We have a new slate of films for Movie Club 2023, starting off with I'm hoping the pronunciation is Japaloop. The story of the show jumping horse who won gold in Seoul 1988. Zero to Hero, the biopic of So Wai, the Hong Kong para athletic gold medalist. The third movie is A Promise Kept, the Oksana Bayul story. And then finally, we will have a documentary called Over the Limit, which focuses on rhythmic gymnast Margarita Mamoon. So looking forward to all of, all of these. I'm ready. I'm ready for jumping horses and jumping skaters, and all, all the popcorn. All right. So let us know what you thought of this year's movies. We would love to hear your thoughts. Time for a patron shout out. We would like to thank our patrons are vital in keeping this show afloat and keeping our flame alive. And this week, we would like to give a shout out to Stanley Yang, who has been a longtime patron. And we really appreciate Stanley's support. Big fan of the daily coverage Stanley is, so we appreciate him and all that he does for the show. So thank you, Stanley. If you appreciate the news, information, and entertainment you get from the show, please consider showing your support. There are a ton of different ways to support the show. We have one-time options, we have commissions, and we have ongoing support. Check out our website at flamealivepod.com slash support for more details. That sound means it is time for our history moment, and all year long we've been focusing on Albertville 1992, as it is the 30th anniversary of those games. Last day of coverage. So what I wanted to do was discuss this wonderful highlight video called 1992 Winter Olympics Highlights Video. Thank you to listener Brian, who was, I think, kindly requested to clear out his Olympics VHS tapes, and because I still have a VCR, I took them off his hands. So he sent me a whole bunch of tapes, including this this recap video. These highlight tapes were a fixture of Olympics coverage in the United States. So after every Games, the official broadcaster would often put out a tape. I don't know if there are any DVDs that they moved over to DVD technology at all. I assume in the 90s they would have moved over. You know, yeah, the early two thousands before streaming, because now it's just right. streaming. But yeah, right. I bet there was a DVD of these at some point. Right. So you could relive the moments or the moments they chose to show you. 
So I would love to know if other countries did this or if this is just a, a uniquely U.S. thing, because there are just lots of old highlight videos out there. So CBS was our broadcaster for these games in the States. And the main co-hosts who also hosted this video were former Major League Baseball catcher turned baseball analyst Tim McCarver and TV journalist Paula Zahn. Who, Paula Zahn. Oh my goodness. I haven't heard that name in a long time. I know. At the time, she was co-host of CBS This Morning, the morning news program on CBS. So if you watched the games in the States, you apparently did not see much of these two at all during the games. At the According to the New York Times, they were on air for about 15 minutes a night in interstitial moments. They did some interviews. Tim McCarver got a lot of criticism as a host because this is like the first Winter Olympics after Jim McKay. And probably talk about this in Seoul 1988. Apparently, that's the first one of NBC hosting. And Bryant Gumbel got a ton of criticism because he was the big main host and he followed Jim McKay. So people missed the mainstay in their household. So I would like you to guess. This is a half an hour video. Let's play Guess the Highlights. We have... 12 segments, what I would call 12 distinct segments for this half an hour. All right. What would you think some of these segments would include based on the highlights of Albertville that we have talked about? Christy Yamaguchi. Yes. Bonnie Blair. Yes. That would be America's favorite girl next door, according to Tim McCarver. Also in that segment was Dan Jansen blowing out. Oh, yeah. There's got to be at least one non-American story, maybe like bobsled. Bobsled, not included on the entire video. <laughs> What's the non-American story? Tumbalabumba. Oh, of course, of course, Tumbalabumba. And then I would also say a women's downhill. Okay. It had some American stuff in there, but, but there was also some non-American stuff. And I would say another segment was basically the mountain beating up. Every all this is that every Olympics? We'll have to as we go through the years. Is does does it is the real competition man versus the mountain? That is very there, well could be. Is there any ski ballet in this or or the no no ski no. ballet and not the speed skiing either? Correct, no speed oh, skiing. Wow, I would think they would throw in the demonstration sports. There's got to be highlights of the opening and closing. Correct. Are so the snow are... ladies there? The snow globe ladies swishing um, their snow around? You saw them in the closing ceremony for sure because I noticed that. And them walking in and not really doing anything with the snow. I thank you for that little tidbit. You'll never be able to look at those snow ladies again. <laughs> and so now if any other country girls, as we kind of refer to them, have an activity, we're going to really keep an eye on those in every opening <laughs> ceremony now. What else would have been okay? On so there? we have yeah. one, two, five more segments. Oh I would my goodness! Say. Oh my goodness! Is there any more figures? Oh, there Paul Wiley. Paul Wiley. Yes, that, that would be come another from behind. one segment. Okay, I I I give up. Go ahead. Tell, tell uh, me. Tell me what yes. I missed. So every figure skating discipline got its own little segment. <laughs> <laughs> the Christy Yamaguchi bit was very long. I would say comparatively, As but yes, expect. they did show all four figure skating discipline winners. The pairs was gold only. And then the ice dancing, they showed the Duchesnais and with the Christopher Dean sighting and the, the gold medals from the unified team. Also Donna Weinbrecht from Moguls. Oh, of course. 
also a longish segment on the men's hockey team, which was so U.S. focused and, quote, the biggest underdogs and biggest surprise were the men's team. And you could not tell from these highlights that the men didn't do very well overall. They said it was a huge surprise, a huge, fabulous job in the pools and getting to the medal round. And then kind of downplaying that their first, yeah, they got a loss, but it, you know, it was still just a great overall achievement for the U.S. men's hockey team. According to this, there was no luge. Like we said, no bobsled, no ski jumping, no Nordic combined, no cross country, no biathlon, no short track, no speed skiing, no ski ballet. But I guess what would you expect for a half an hour? Except for maybe chop a minute off of the Christy Yamaguchi story and maybe another minute or so off of the men's hockey and you get more in at least. But it is kind of entertaining to go back and watch these. And of course, this is presented by Dodge. So there's a Dodge commercial at the front of the tape and the end of the tape. Is anyone smoking on it? I mean, are we back in that situation? No, no. But it is fun to see the 1992 Dodge trucks and what that looked like and the graphics. Oh, it's just fantastic. So thank you, listener Brian, for this little bit of entertainment. It is interesting to go back and and see how focused this is on figure skating because you're like, oh who will buy this women who want to watch figure skating and and it's really not even you get little snippets it's not like you even get a whole performance but it just was a fun little way to to round things up i wanted to talk a little bit about legacies of albertville as you mentioned before the ceremonies were a temporary facility but according to the ioc's legacy report from earlier this year the rest of the venues are still in use the one exception is the speed skiing slope at Les Arcs, which disappeared naturally once it stopped being maintained. The main Olympic village was in Bride-le-Bain, and it had been hotels. It's now again hotels, and it is a spa resort town, which I think we're going to have to go. Yes. Mirabel and Courcheval will host the 2023 FIS Alpine Ski World Champs. So that's nice. It's still being used. There's also a permanent exhibition on Albertville 1992 at the Albertville Olympic Ice Hall. So you can go and visit that. that. And the cauldron is outside of the figure skating venue. Very nice. Well, I have enjoyed our year in Albertville. I have too. It's been I've, very nice. So. We've learned a lot. We, we remembered and, and learned for the first time. And, and I will miss it. Exactement. So thank you, listeners, for choosing this one. It's been a fun adventure. Au revoir, Albeville. Welcome to Shukflistan. Yes, it is time to travel over to Shukflistan to see what is up with our team. Keep the flame alive. These are past guests of the show. We are starting off with some results. Short track Speed skater Ryan Shane competed in the Canadian Invitationals and he reached the A final in the 1500 meter. So congratulations to him. Nordic combined racer Annika Malasinski competed in two races at the Lillehammer Continental Cup, finishing eighth in the first race and getting her first Continental Cup podium finish with a third place in the second race. And Aaron Jackson competed at the first of two ISU World Cup events in Calgary in long track speed skating. In the 500-meter Division A race, she placed a seventh. And in the 1,000-meter Division A race, she placed 16th. So they're racing again in Calgary this weekend before the holiday break. 
And in some news, John Neighbor was elected to a second term on the USOPC board. And also competing will be Team Schuster. They'll be curling at the Karuizawa International Curling Championships. You may have seen some controversial news all over social media this week. And that is with regards to the Russian and Belarusian athlete situation. There have been many, many discussions about this at various meetings. The IOC, after their executive board meeting, they had the Olympic Summit, which had a bunch of international federations involved and some NOCs involved. And one of the things that they want to see, especially TBOC would like to see, is Russian and Belarusian athletes competing at Paris 2024. And they would have to be Russians who are clean, but also probably not have a big pro-war stance. And how do you judge that? I mean, certainly if a federation has banned somebody because of like that gymnast with the Z on the podium, I think we can honor that ban. Right. So then a little bit more controversy has popped up with the USOPC had a conference call after having a board meeting there, and they came out in support of TBOX hope to include Russian athletes in Paris 2024. And that's causing a lot of controversy because, of course, there's people who say, well, if Russia is going to start this war, they should be banned from everything. And they have been banned from a lot of stuff. Tibok, of course, who was affected by the 1980 boycott, thinks uh, you're starting to see an attitude of, oh, this war is not going to end. We can sanction Russia, but now we are starting to hurt individual innocent athletes, potentially innocent athletes. And we don't want to do that. And I think it comes from a position of, I have been there. I have experienced that. It's awful. I don't want that to happen to anybody else. And I think the USOPC also feels that way because they know how devastating 1980 was to their athletes. And you heard, especially, there is such a fine line and such a very gray situation to try to navigate. Some of the things they were talking about in including Russia, and and Suzanne Lyons, the chair of the USOPC, said, you really, if you include Russia, you have to strip away anything Russian. So whereas for Pyeongchang and Beijing and Tokyo, they competed as the Russian Olympic Committee and had uniforms and colors that were obviously looked, you could identify them as Russian. This would be stripping all of that away as well and having them compete probably under an Olympic flag, competing as individual athletes or I wasn't quite sure, but it was definitely stripping away the Russia element. You know, making them not a team identifiable with any nation. Mm -hmm. We talked about in Beijing, they used a Tchaikovsky piece instead of the national anthem. Still a Russian composer, still identifiable clearly as music that means something in the Russian culture. And this time they're saying, no, 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 no. Their uniforms are not going to have the colors. They're not going to have, they're just going to get the Olympic flag, the Olympic anthem, keep them as not neutral athletes from Russia, like the word Russia completely obliterated from the scenario. This is so hard. This is so hard on so many levels because we've talked about this a million times. At what point does punishing the sins of the Olympic Committee, the sins of the government, 
affect the athletes? And at one point, are the athletes themselves responsible? I mean, they're certainly mm-hmm. not responsible for invading Ukraine, and yet, where do you separate the two? Because there have been athletes who have been very vocal in their support of the war. Exactly. Where do you, where do you fall on that? Where does that line go? And it's not like, oh, go find a, another country con- to compete for, and we'll, if you're innocent, we'll approve that transition. I don't even know how many athletes would be able to do that. But- how do you prove that you should be allowed to compete because you shouldn't take the blame for stuff that your government does? And I always go back to what if this were our country? Turn it around. What if our country was guilty of if? (laughs) You know, the United States and many other countries have been guilty of war crimes and of inappropriate international behavior. And many American athletes have had systematic doping within a certain context. I mean, not through the USOPC, but certainly there have been huge labs doping many, many athletes. So how would I feel as an American if this got turned around on me? I would certainly have a problem with that. And then to say, I need to come out and speak against my government to be able to compete feels very wrong, right? Because wouldn't we call that person, you know, if I came out, and, and we've seen it, when athletes have come out and made political statements, it always becomes, how dare you be unpatriotic? Mm-hmm. And wouldn't a, a Russian athlete have that same pressure to support his or her country and be patriotic? And I am not comparing the governments of the United States and Russia. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm talking about the athlete's behavior and the fans' view of it. And where do we come down and say the athlete needs to be punished? Because that's ultimately what's happening when you don't allow an athlete to compete. It's the athlete that is punished when there's boycotts and there's bans. But when is that appropriate because the behavior of the government and the Olympic Committee is so egregious that you can never guarantee any athlete is clean and or a viable athlete. Yeah. You have to take the time to really think through all of this. And this is where I understand how hours-long debates have been going on within the IOC because you don't want a country to be able to promote its accomplishments at the Olympics while they're doing something heinous to another country. And I believe inside the games reportedly over 100 athletes from the Ukraine have been killed in this conflict. They also didn't ask to be invaded. And yet their country is suffering immensely, not just loss of life, but loss of training facilities, loss of time. And it's just the, um, the incredible stress being placed on them in order to survive. And their have their families survive, and if they've been displaced, where where are they? What's happening at home? It's, just, it's a never ending cycle. Is it fair for those athletes to see athletes from Russia be at the games, even if they're competing under an IOC flag? In the past, there was that whole idea of sports has no place in politics, and. That was always the IOC mantra. And yet it did insert itself when it's pushing to have a united Korean team or pushing in the old days to have a united German team. And I think we need to stop pretending officially that sports has no place in politics. You cannot have this massive international organization 
be unwilling to take a stance. Right. I mean, we're talking human rights. I mean, on basic human rights, I think the IOC has to. But is that my American values being imposed on other countries? What human values can we consider universal or should be universal? And there's no way that everyone in the world would come up with the same answer to that. And I think the IOC needs to, I think the IOC needs to come up with its red line and work that into the charter and just say, look, we are going to have to make political stance. There's no way around this. So let's make it very clear what it is so that they're not constantly fighting fires like this. Because you think this is the last time one country is going to invade another? No, come on. It's a tough argument. And I have to wonder if T-Bock thought with the initial sanctions against having no competitions in Russia and Belarus and encouraging federations to ban those athletes as well. I wonder if he thought this would be a quick skirmish. And now we're getting up to deadlines for 2024 and you are facing the very real possibility of those sanctions not allowing athletes to come, which probably goes against something very core and central to T-Bucks having been denied the opportunity to compete because of what his government decided to do. Yeah. For the Ukrainian athletes, we saw them in Beijing. We saw the pain and no one should suffer like that. And yet all the Moscow athletes that we've talked to who suffered through the boycott, obviously not the same suffering, but what can the IOC do to mitigate the situation and take care of its athletes when you have competing needs? Who comes first? Good question. And one we will revisit, I think, many times until a final decision is made. And who knows, that might not be up until the games. And who comes first when your country is the aggressor? Right. Tough way to close out the year. But that's okay, because <laughs> we still have fun coming before the end of the year. Exactly. So we've got a couple of special episodes coming your way. We are talking with the fabulous men of Anything But Footy podcast and talking all things Olympics and Paralympics with them for next week. And then we're going to give you a preview of what's coming for patrons in 2023. So if you've been on the fence about becoming a patron and thought, oh, I don't know if I if I can do this, but you like the idea of bonus content, we're going to give you a preview of what the main bonus episode is that we produce monthly will be in 2023. That will be our last show of the year. And that's then then will be a, a year to the Olympics. So it'll be the end of one Olympic year and the beginning of a pre-Olympic year. Thank goodness we haven't had one of these in a long time. <laughs> a true break year. This is amazing. I don't know what we're going to do with ourselves. Oh, we have a list. <laughs> Our list is longer than Santa's. All right. If you want something on that list, how can you get in touch with us? You can reach us by email at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. Our social handle is at flamealivepod. And be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. 
So again, next week, Anything But Footy will be on for our special holiday treat. Thank you so much for listening, and, and until next time, keep the flame alive. <laughs>